The concept of Flight Bridge Ed was sparked when a growing need and a dream united into an idea. That idea grew into a passion, and from passion came a global community of providers and students joining in the revolution of pre-hospital, critical care, and emergency medicine education. Now, from around the world, we are calling our community together. We proudly announce the Flight Bridge Ed Air and Surface Transport Symposium in Wilmington, North Carolina on June 11th and 12th, 2024, with opening keynote, Scott Weingart. That's right, Mr. Mcrit himself. World-class speakers, vendors, and of course, the Flight Bridge Ed team will be there. Go to our website now to register for Fast 24. Join the revolution. The content of this podcast is based on medical fact and evidence-based practice from credible authoritative sources, but is not a substitute for your institution's policies, procedures, common sense, or good judgment. The views and opinions are those of Eric Bauer and Flight Bridge Ed in their entirety. This is the Flight Bridge Ed Podcast, critical care and emergency medicine education for nurses and paramedics. Here's your host, Eric Bauer. Hey everybody, Eric Beck with you. Today's podcast is going to be a Fast 18 Rewind, and we're going to listen to a good friend of mine, Dr. Peter Antivy. Um, his mission, his goal, his passion is to change the way we think about resuscitation in pediatrics. And so please join me for this talk called A Paradigm Shift in Pediatrics. Good morning, everyone. So um, first of all, uh, Eric, Ashley, the entire team, you guys are just amazing people. Thank you guys for what you've done. Um, Eric really has been a close friend. I've learned a lot from him. Um, interestingly, about a few years ago, I spoke at a conference where I came after the astronaut, <laughs> okay? <laughs> today, today, unfortunately, uh, I have to come uh, after an amazing man, uh, very humble. It was a great, just a great message. Um, thanks to Dr. Uh, Ritu Sani, he gave me testosterone shots so I could feel better after that talk. <laughs> so I'll be, okay. <clears throat> I call my wife, I say, I'm turning in my man card, I'm good, okay. No, but that was, that, that's, it's, it's really amazing. Um, and, and to give everyone thanks here into the room for what you do every day, um, I'm humbled by just the fact that I'm able to work with people like you. Uh, you do sacrifice your life every day. I think uh, what Ed said is correct. You guys are the true heroes of the American heartland. So I want to talk about uh, pediatrics. First, I do have a disclosure that you won't hear about the company today, but that's the company that I founded. Uh, I want to talk about something that you may, you may feel uh, differently about, and I hope that maybe half of you leave the room thinking, hey, maybe do I really believe this or not, but I want to challenge you today. This is a road in the middle of America it's dark, it has no lights, and every year 100 people die on this road. What would you do if you were the city manager of this town? You'd probably add some lights, correct? So they did. And then it turns out a year later they came and found out 150 people died on that road. So what happened there? Simple problem, right? Maybe a simple solution but the outcome wasn't what we intended it to be. So I want you to kind of think through that, and pediatrics perhaps is the same issue, where it seems like a simple solution, and the solutions that people have put forth 
maybe haven't worked throughout the year. So I'm going to challenge you here with a case. So here's your first patient. It's a two-year-old septic child. And so just kind of get in the mind frame. You're at, you're at the bedside. And now here's what I need from you. Ready? Central line. No epi drip. Let's intubate. I need a Foley and an NG tube. So just look at that and tell me how many people there would say, okay, I can figure all that out right now without any help. Is there anyone in the room who can do that without any help? So it turns out that we all know how to treat sepsis, but when it comes time to treat sepsis, where the rubber hits the road, that's where the problem is. So that's what I want to talk about today. Because if you look at the pediatric survival curve since 1980, that's us in the blue, right? That's out of hospital arrest, survival. And why hasn't it changed since 1980? How could it be that decades have gone by in the hospital, they're doing really well, but out of hospital, if you're a child and you have a cardiac arrest, the odds of you staying alive or walking out of the hospital alive is somewhere around 6%. And that comes from the American Heart Association's Part 12 of the guidelines, right there in the bottom left corner. And you can see that if you're under the age of one, an infant, you have a 3% chance of survival. A child, which is from, an infant, from one to puberty, is 10.5%. The odds are not good. So can we change that is the question. So now that I'm an EMS medical director for several fire departments down in South Florida, on the adult side, look what we've done. So one, in one of my agencies, we did three simple things. Top left, we stay on scene for 20 minutes for cardiac arrest. The top middle, we do high-performance CPR. And the top right, we actually do not provide positive pressure ventilation for the first six minutes after witness cardiac arrest. And look what our stats did. And by the way, every medic gets a, um, a code summary, if you will, code stat. And they can, you, you'll, you'll know exactly how you performed, not how the department performed, but how you performed after every one of your arrests. So watch our data. We took over in 2015, so you see the 2014 data. Uh, this is ROSC. And you can see that within one year, what we did to our, uh, to our ROSC rates and our survival, of course, in increased with that as well. So this was in the adult world, right? Within one year, we took Palm Beach County, Florida, and we more than doubled the rate of ROSC. How, so how is that possible in adults but not in pediatrics? I'm going to test your brain and show you exactly why it doesn't happen. So here's your first case. Here's a 65-year-old gentleman. You're on, you're, you're on route, and he's in cardiac arrest. That's what you hear. Your brain is telling you right now exactly what you're going to be going into, what you're going to give, what dose, what size tube, everything. Same case or same age. 65-year-old anaphylaxis. All of you right now, your brain is throwing at you information saying 0.3 of epi, 125-salumedrol, 50 of Benadryl, albuterol, normal saline, pretty simple stuff. But what if I tell you now this is your next case, a 5-year-old in cardiac arrest, a 5-year-old in anaphylaxis. Something just happened to you as you saw those words come onto the screen that were very different from when you saw the adult stuff coming onto the screen. Right there is where that point diverges, and that's where we have to change things. And I want to tell the story of Lieutenant Jonathan Robbins, who uh, is my hero. He is um, he's a great, great man. Uh, I want to tell you what happened to him when he was a rookie. When he was a rookie, uh, two months on the job, he goes to the scene of a two-year-old cardiac arrest, opens the back doors, a police officer standing there with a dead two-year-old. Robbins puts the kid in the back of the ambulance, and his lieutenant says, hey, Robbins, you're a rookie. You drive. 
And so Robbins went to drive. Coral Springs, that's one of my departments, Parkland, as you heard. Um, it's, a very, it's a gated community, very affluent community. He didn't know how to get out of the neighborhood. So he made a right and a right, and he hit a dead end. He passed the house with lights and sirens, and mom and dad are looking at him. He made a left and a left, another dead end, and he passes the house again with mom and dad looking straight at him. He gets to the hospital. He transfers care over to the physician. After about five or 10 minutes, the doctor calls the code. Robbins puts his head down. He walks out to the ambulance bay. And guess who you think he blamed for that child's death? Himself. And who do you think he told about his, his concern and his emotion? Nobody. And why not? How come he didn't you know, call someone and say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling like shit right now for what just happened? Was it his fault that this kid died? No, it was not. So I'll tell you what happened to Robbins here at the end of the talk. But I'll tell you what I learned from Jonathan is that there's something called what I call the arrest life cycle. This is not the arrest life cycle in the child. This is the arrest life cycle for all of us in the room who are on the front lines. Let's go through these quadrants one by one. So when you're in route for a 65-year-old arrest, how do you feel? You feel pretty awesome, right? You feel like you, you, you want to be that person there. How do you feel when it's a two-year-old arrest? You're in route, six-minute ETA. You don't feel so good, right? The pucker factor kind of thing? So let's put an X through that box there. What about on scene? How do you feel on scene for a 65-year-old in cardiac arrest? You feel pretty good. It's quiet. You're doing your job. You're in your lane. Everything's going really well. How about a two-year-old in cardiac arrest? How does that feel? Most of the time, it's load and go, right? Scoop and run. We just get the hell out of there. So let's put an X through that quadrant. So what's happened here, in the adult world, you have two checkboxes. In the pediatric world, you have two Xs. So now we have something called the debrief, right? And the debrief was put there to help out those people. It turns out this is the most commonly asked question in the debrief is what could we have done better? What is that code for? It's code for how did I screw up, right? Because you're your own worst critic. I know I am my own worst critic. And so when you're in a, when you're in a debrief, you're comparing your actions versus when you performed well in the adult, and now here you are performing not so well in the child, you are telling yourself, shame on you, you didn't do well. So now, so the debrief does not work. So now we have to get the closure. Um, so how do you get the closure in the adult case? You have an adult, 65-year-old, uh, you tried everything you could, he was called in the hospital. What do you tell yourself? You say, lived a long life, we did everything we could, it was his time kind of thing, right? In pediatrics, getting to closure means Quadrant one and quadrant two have to have been a check because you say, I, I've done everything I could. But real, really getting to closure is being able to go to mom and dad, look at them right in the eye and say, I'm sorry. Looking them right in the eye and saying, and hugging them and crying with them and telling them everything that you did. Now, if you feel like you did it well and you're an expert at what you did, they will look at you and say, thank you, right? And so you, you've done nothing wrong, but if quadrant one and quadrant two have X's in them, you can't go to mom and dad. For years, I could never do that. Okay? Now I do that every time, and then not only do I get closure, but they get closure. And I'll tell you why it's important for you and us to get closure on all of these calls at the end. And if you want to Google something, resuscitations that never end, 
talks about if you don't get closure on a call, you never will get closure on a call. You never will get closure. And I have made a lot of mistakes. And there's a lot of cases that I never will get closure on. And that's why I'm on a mission to change things for myself and for others as well. So I'm going to show you really, kind of really quickly here the four areas I want to focus on to help kids get back to life are the layperson, the telecommunicator, and EMS, not the hospital. So let's put the hospital under the line because if you bring us kids who are dead, they will not come back to life or they'll be in a vegetative state. So you are on the front lines, as is the layperson and the telecommunicator. Let's start with them first. Listen to this call from my agency of a two-year-old who was on the potty, mom calls it the potty, goes into cardiac arrest, and through the entire call, not the mother or my telecommunicator uh, did one chest compression. So there's a big issue in America today that we're trying to, to solve. But take a listen to this call. Fire rescue. Oh, my God. Of your emergency. <sighs> that's yes, I have a child that's having a seizure. Okay. And what, He's two and a half. He's having a hard time breathing. What address are you He's at? unconscious. <laughs> what address are you at? Um, what's the address here? Okay. Wait, we're just here visiting. Oh, Wyatt, 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 no, while we're talking. How old is that child? Two and a half. Two and a half? Two and a half. Okay. Yes. Does the baby have a fever? Wyatt! Huh? Does the baby have a fever? No, 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 no. He was just, he was in the, on the potty. And he was mad because I told him he had to go, and he just started having a seizure. Wyatt, Wyatt, breathe. Okay. And is he still shaking right now? No, no, he's like unconscious, and he's not breathing. Okay. Is he breathing at all? Please, hurry. No, I'm not feeling anything coming out. Okay. What I need you to do is get him flat on, the on his back on the floor. We're going to try to do CPR until they get there. Can you get him on the, on the floor? Are you... Yes. Okay, are you still in the bathroom? No, we're on carpet. I'm sorry, you're outside? Or you're on the carpet? No, we're on the carpet. Okay. I said carpet. Okay, it's, it's just kind of hard to hear you with the background noise. Is your door unlocked? Yes. Okay. Wyatt, come on. Okay. Come here. Wyatt. Is that Wyatt. the baby that's crying or no, he's not moving? No, that's another baby. That's another baby, okay? Okay. Do you have the baby down on the ground? Yes. Okay. I want you to look at his chest and see if you see his chest going up and down if he's breathing. No, it's not. Okay. No, it's not. Okay. Oh, my God, Wyatt, please. Okay, I'm going to stop it there. My medics get there. We start CPR. He goes into V-fib. We shock him out of it. We have ROSC. Okay? As a medic... You're feeling pretty amazing at this time. Go to the hospital. They transfer care. Fly him to the children's hospital. Four hours later, I get a phone call. Hey, doc, how's, how's little Wyatt doing? Why are they calling me? What are they looking for? Closure, okay? Flies to the children's hospital. 12 hours later, another phone call. Doc, checking in on Wyatt. Still don't know anything yet. 24 hours later, doc, how's Wyatt doing? You know, I, I don't know yet, okay? They keep calling me and calling me. Do you think they know what happened with the layperson and the telecommunicator yet at all? They don't. We get a phone call the, next, the following day that Wyatt passes away. Okay? My, my crews were devastated. Devastated. I called the hospital and said, hey, just want to you know, just follow up on, on the case that we brought in. 
and the doctor gets on the phone and says, oh, that was a horrible case. I said, what do you mean a horrible case? That mother did something to that child. I said, what do you mean? Well, something didn't sound right. So now, this mother's being blamed for her child's death. My medics think that they did something wrong, okay? And you can see how now this family is going to end up towards divorce, and you're going to see how my medics are going to go back and for, for months and years later feel like they did something wrong, okay? And they didn't do anything wrong. And so, if we look at the layperson CPR was not good, the telecommunicator CPR was not good, but the EMS CPR was great, we still had a bad outcome. And the reason we had a bad outcome, because he had, he had uh, cerebral edema, and he ended up herniating, right? All he needed was a little bit of help on the front end to help this kid be normal and active today. And the problem is, is that my EMS crews, now that they know what happened beforehand, they feel better about themselves, but it's not really fair to them. So, let me tell you about what happens not in America. So here's a video, you may have seen this video before. They have no AHA, they have no PALS, but watch this kid who just was pulled out of a river, you tell me if you think he's gonna make it. Lap number one. How many people think he is going to make it? I was in Soya. Hey, to compare this to what Wyatt was receiving at this point in time, right? Wyatt was receiving nothing. Is this better than what Wyatt got? It is, isn't it? So maybe we're teaching it wrong. Maybe CPR shouldn't be a four-hour class for the layperson. Maybe we shouldn't care about 30 to 2, right? So I, I, I kind of joke, uh, if you saw at the end, his, he started blinking, this child's alive. And so I kind of joke that we teach 15 compressions in two breaths. Maybe we should be teaching 15 compressions in two laps. Maybe that should be the, the thing that we should be doing. So maybe we're doing it all wrong. Maybe we're doing it all wrong. And I think that we are. So this kid got no EMS CPR, no telecommunicator CPR, but got not so good layperson CPR and had a good outcome. So maybe we need, to re we need to rethink this. Maybe we should try and get the public to do this, what this lady did in the middle of the highway in Miami when her niece turned blue and she just got out and actually just got this kid back to life before EMS even arrived. How do we get to that point? So part of where, where I'm going with this is that uh, part of why pediatrics is difficult is because how your brain processes information. And I want to go really quickly through this book. It's a must read. Daniel Kahneman, Nobel Prize winner. He talks about two parts of your brain, a fast part called system one and slow part called system two. Fast or system one is what, is what you heard earlier when you're uh, a Navy SEAL, but also when you're uh, a paramedic and you're a flight nurse and someone's having crushing chest pain you don't have to go through your chest pain protocol when someone has crushing chest pain in front of you. Your system automatically tells you what to do. 
The problem with system one is that it makes mistakes, it doesn't know it. System two, on the other hand, is very slow, very lazy, but you don't use, you are, you are not system two people. We are not system two people. So let me show you why system one is, is great, but not so great, and why you don't want system two around. So if you've never seen this question before, answer it real quick. Any takers? Most people say two, one of each kind, right? Yeah, except that it wasn't Moses, okay? So this is, this is right from Kahneman's book, that basically your brain, your system one, says animals arc, it says two, next question. And if I would have gone to the next slide, you would have never thought you got it wrong, okay? So system one is fast, but will make mistakes. Here's my favorite one. I'm gonna give you nine numbers to add up. This is second grade math. 90% of you will get this wrong. So try to, add up nine, try to add up nine easy numbers. When the last number comes up, the screen goes away. Tell me what you get afterwards. Here we go. Six thousand? Mostly what people get, okay? Did anyone get not six thousand? Okay, what'd you get? Good, which is right, 5,100. So most people get 6,000 because they'll take the 30, 20, 40, and 10, which is 100, but, but your system one is so quick to make the mistake, it makes it 1,000 and you get 6,000, but the answer is 5,100. When you're in the back of a helicopter and you're doing medical math on a pediatric patient and you draw up the 6,000, your system one didn't know it, that it made the mistake, it gives the dose 6,000. When you, when you document your, your medical record an hour or two later, you're not going back to the volume you gave. You're documenting the milligram or microgram dose you gave. You say 20 kilo kid, one micro kilo, that was 20 micrograms, 20 micrograms. So we're, we're making these errors on pediatric patients without even knowing it, and it's unfair to them. And it's, it's, it's all because of, of uh, not the fact that you're not good, it's because of system one and system two issues. So, Here's system two question, ready? So I'm gonna test your system two and give me an answer. So your system one just said I'm checking out. That's it, your system one said I'm done. And now some of you in the room are actually gonna do this. The, other, the others are just gonna say I'm not, not doing it, right? I had a guy recently in Boston, he says to me, doc, it's at least 240. And then he stopped, that's what he said to me. All right, because it was 24 times 10 and he stopped. So system two is not something that you want in the back of your helicopter or in the back of your ambulance or in your emergency department. Just like the NIH score is not something you can do by just looking at a patient. So going back to that two-year-old septic patient, it's not that you don't know what to do, it's that system two is that entire yellow box on the right-hand side. It's not about you, it's about system two. And Kahneman says that system two has a cost. So if you're in the middle of a code and I say, hey, norepidose, I need a chest tube, I need all these other things, your, your gas tank goes to empty, and when your gas tank goes to empty, something very special happens to you, according to Kahneman, and it's this, okay? So I've been that doctor who has been in a, in a room with a really sick kid, and I've, and I've kind of slowly left the room, right? Because of my nerves and my fears, and my system too. And I've made mistakes, I've made a lot of mistakes. And medics will leave the scene when their system too activates, instead of treating the kid on scene. And so how do we go from being the adult, you know, you, you, you treat adults like this, but you treat pediatrics like this, right? And so how do, we how do we change that mentality? So just real quick to test you. 60-year-old male, low blood sugar, goes into cardiac arrest, 
or has an allergic reaction, mild, you want to give Benadryl, you know the dosages of all those medications without even blinking. It's system one. But in pediatrics, the five-year-old with the same exact three problems, it would be very challenging for any of you to get me the dose as a volume for any of these simple, simple problems, not because you don't know it, but because it's a system two issue. So system one, fast, makes mistakes. System two, you don't really want it around when you're in a stressful environment. And so I'm going to kind of show you that there is good data that we should be treating kids like adults, right? Here is a study from 2016 resuscitation saying that if you stay on scene for 25 to 30 minutes, the child has the best chance of survival. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's what we do in pediatrics, in, in adults. This just came out, March of 2018. This is this month. The time to epi administration and survival from non-shockable, out-of-hospital arrest among children and adults. It turns out if you give epi 10 minutes after the arrest, 18% reduction in survival. Here's a big one. Every one minute delay to epi administration is a 9% reduction in survival. That's almost the equivalent of, 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 of the AED, right? So we need to understand that we need to treat kids the same as adults. And so I like to throw, I haven't shown this video in quite a while, I like to throw it in. This is, these are my two, I have three children. Here's two of them, this is years ago now. But watch how I taught my oldest son how to know the epi dose as a volume because I had, to I had to teach this to myself because I was so bad as a physician in the code. I taught myself the age and the, and the epidose, and I taught it to my five-year-old at the time. Here he's seven, uh, and he, he agreed to have me put this on YouTube one day. Your brother just drowned in a pool. He needs help. Jordan, please don't use system two. Don't use system two, Jordan. Here we go. Let's see the epidose if he's five years old. Two Nine years old. Three One year old. One cc. Three years old. One point five cc. Seven years old. Two point five cc. Okay, let's do what's nineteen plus fourteen. Three. Three. System two. So I gave him a system two question in Kahneman's book. He says that when you are in system two, your eyes go up and to the right. So if you're ever on a scene and you look at your partner and their eyes are up and to the right, you should say, oh shit, okay. It's really bad. So when I'm in a code, I'm looking at you, you better not be looking up and to the right, okay. So what I would like everyone to do is five simple steps. Arrive, bag, chest compress, drill, give epi. Don't leave the scene with dead people. Don't leave the scene with dead children. So just a quick story before I end. Um, Miami-Dade Fire Rescue. Uh, they're, they're able to do this, right? So this is a two-year-old boy, Alejandro, in that, in that little green pool. Um, and the lieutenant, Tammy Napoles, was the hero of this child that day. Stayed on scene. Um, he was in a coma for nine days. No one thought he'd ever wake up again, but he did. He, he woke up. They extubated him. He had to learn how to walk again. He had to learn how to say mommy again. Tammy Napoles, that's her in the, in the picture. That's Alejandro's hero. She's my hero. And that's what I think is the, is, a, is the change maker here. You have the difference to change lives, all of you sitting here in this room today. In Polk County, Florida, um, look what happened. And you can see here that they stay on scene right there. The time to epi went from 17 to five minutes. That red line are living children who are playing soccer today. Those aren't kids with a trach and a G-tube. There's, you know, you, you could see that almost upwards of 30 children who are alive today because of a person who stayed on scene. It wasn't because of anything else. So Jonathan Robbins, um, who, had, who was at the depth of despair, right? He was in a really bad place in his life because he thought he killed that child. Um, 
he actually now can stay on scene. And he had this girl, 18-month-old girl, choked on a grape. Police officer came down to his rig with a dead kid. He said, put the kid down right here. He suctioned the blood that the mother had done blind finger sweeps. It was bleeding everywhere. She, he, she, he, he puts the blade in. He gets to McGill. The grape comes out. He gets Ross. This girl walks out of the hospital 18 month, uh, sorry, 36 hours later. We wrote him up for that. Two weeks later, Robbins is on a call of another child. He's, he was all over the news because he drowned in a pool the same moment that his mother was giving birth to his brother. We transported James to the hospital where his mother was giving birth. Robbins was on the scene. Robbins stayed on scene. Robbins got this kid back to life. James Edwards is alive today because of his hero, Jonathan Robbins. But I met Robbins a few months after these two calls, and he says, hey, doc, remember me? I'm Jonathan Robbins. I said, yeah, of course I remember. He says, well, I'm the one who had those two pediatric saves. I said, my God, tell me about it. He says, no, I want to tell you about something else that happened to me eight years ago. And we're at a, we're at a bar, you know, it was like a, uh, some event, and we're drinking beers, and Robbins says to me, he told me all about that kid from, two year, from, from eight years ago, and he says, I'm, I was convinced that I killed that kid. I said, who did you tell? He says, nobody. He says, I'm telling you this for the first time. I haven't told this to anybody. So you have two guys crying in a bar. It wasn't, you know, if, you know. I, I can tell you that I, I gained a lot of respect for that man that day. But he said, now I get, I've gotten to closure. Now I know what it is. And that's when it hit me that that's what he's seeking. That's what I've been seeking for my entire career. How do we get to closure with children? And it matters because this is David Dangerfield, fire chief of Indian River in Florida. And he, uh, he did a lot of things, and he saw a lot of trauma. But look what he wrote on Facebook. PTSD for firefighters is real. If your loved one is experiencing signs, get them help. 27 years of deaths and babies dying in your hands is a memory that you'll never get rid of. It haunted me daily until now. My, my love to my crew be safe, take care, I love you all. And then he went and shot himself in the head. And he left the family behind. And when he, he was dressed in his class A, he put his wallet on the counter and he says goodbye to his wife and kid. And his son said, Dad, you'll need your wallet. He says, I won't need that. And he walked out. And that was the last he saw of his child. That is not good, okay? So, in memory of, of Chief Dangerfield. So what I pose to everyone here today is that we've had this dark road, we've put lights on it, it hasn't worked. Let's take a bulldozer to it, okay? That's what I would recommend. And maybe we don't need two courses. Maybe there is no difference between ACLS and PALS. Maybe we should have one course with the same algorithms, treat adults and peas the same, and outcomes will be the same. So, what I leave you with is, layperson and telecommunicator CPR, we need to change that, and we are doing that, We're in the process of doing that uh, right now on a national level. Uh, use age, and not just length, right? It's something that people uh, haven't done before. Let's treat kids like we treat adults. Let's change the culture, and perhaps, Let's have outcomes that are meaningful, not just to you, but to families around this country. With that, I thank you very much. This is my personal email address and my Twitter handle. And uh, again, Eric, Ashley, the entire team, uh, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. This has been a production of the Flight Bridge Ed Podcast, leading the way in pre-hospital critical care and emergency medicine education.